Hello, and welcome to the podcast devoted to helping you win the race Christ has marked out for you. A few years ago, while having lunch with the Marine Corps officer at Quantico, he said, Gary, my 12-year-old daughter just told my wife and me that she's transgender. What do you think I should do? In America, the current administration is working very hard to promote transgenderism. A week ago, we had a Transgender Day of Visibility proclaimed at the White House. Executive orders have been signed, and the Equality Act is winding its way through the halls of Congress. This episode answers the question, as Christian men, how do we protect the rising generation from the harm they experience through gender confusion, while at the same time sharing Christ's love with those seeking to promote this transgender delusion? Thanks for joining us today for Season 2, Episode number 23 of Mission Focus Men for Christ. My name is Gary Yeagle. My Marine friend's daughter was experiencing what is now called gender dysphoria. Five years earlier, her condition would have been called GID, Gender Identity Disorder. But caving to the woke pressure in 2013, the American Psychiatric Association changed the term gender identity disorder to gender dysphoria. As today's culture loses its biblical roots, being transgender is now mistakenly seen as a positive identity. The result is that those with this confusion who are in deep emotional turmoil because they don't feel like they fit their gender stereotype are not given the help they desperately need. This conversation at Quantico was but one in a series of experiences and discussions I had back in 2015. As the men's ministry coach for my denomination, I had many similar conversations with men who were concerned about the messages being sent by our current culture to our children about sexuality and gender. For example, while channel surfing, a friend who was a high school administrator at the time came upon a counseling professional who listed seven traits of a boy whose quote-unquote true identity was probably to be gay. Sensitive, creative, artistic, passive, finds friendship with girls easier than friendship with boys, unathletic, dislikes roughhousing. My friend said, I could relate to every one of those traits. In today's world, I might conclude that I'm gay and pursue homosexuality. 20 years ago, I might have been called a sissy, but I am now urged to pursue homosexuality because I'm sensitive, unathletic, and love art and music. About that same time, a colleague who specializes in ministry to the sexually broken advised me, Gary, let me tell you what's happening on college campuses today. Of course, there is rampant sexual immorality. That's always been the case. But now freshmen, men and women are told that they can't know if their sexual orientation is heterosexual or homosexual until they try homosexual sex. Among the dangers of such sexual experimentation is that the imprint of sexual experience stays in the brain, creating a hunger for the same kind of experience. For our gender-confused sons and daughters, taking a few steps down the path of same-sex sexual contact is to step onto a steep slope that often ends in adopting the homosexual life. 
a PCA pastor, one in my denomination, confided to me on one occasion, Gary, I'm seeing a lot of teen guys at our Christian school, as well as guys who are homeschooled who don't have the slightest idea what masculinity looks like in their relationship with girls. Another added, yeah, when my son went to the prom, the girls decided on all the arrangements, where they would go for dinner, what they would do after the party, etc. Christian guys today are really passive and unsure of their roles with women. Meanwhile, from the Christian counseling room, I was repeatedly hearing, Gary, I praise God for today's renewed efforts at men's ministry. 90% of the marriage problems I deal with would be solved if men would stop being passive and lead their homes. God's design of gender roles in marriage is foundational for successful marriage. Well, this is just a sample of my numerous conversations with adults who expressed alarm at the way the culture's gender and sexuality views were shaping their kids. As a past youth leader, pastor, and father of five kids who've traveled through adolescence, I had come to believe that what a child believes about sexuality, gender, and gender roles has a lot to do with shaping the outcome of his or her life. I also knew that men needed to be the ones to lead the way in shaping their kids with a biblical worldview of sexuality and gender, but how could I expect them to do that when they had no idea how teen culture was shaped by the LGBTQ world? So I devoted about 18 months to reading quite a number of books, talking extensively with staff at Harvest USA, and writing a book published in 2018 with this stated purpose equipping Christian adults to understand the culture that is shaping their children's views of sexuality so they can help their children respond to the deconstruction of male-female gender identities and roles taking place in our culture with gospel grace toward the sexually broken and with a wholehearted celebration of the biblical teaching of complementarianism. Its long title is Anchoring Your Child to God's Truth in a Gender-Confused Culture, Subtitle, Helping Your Children Embrace Their Calling to Godly Manhood or Womanhood. Knowing how important it was to have credibility concerning ministry in the LGBTQ world and a biblical view of LGBTQ issues, I learned from and then secured the endorsement of Dan Wilson, the student director of Harvest USA. Knowing the book needed to be consistent with an inerrant view of Scripture, I asked my denomination, the Presbyterian Church in America, which holds this inerrant view of Scripture, to publish it. I mention writing this book because you need to know my credentials for addressing this topic over the next few weeks on the Mission Focused Men for Christ podcast. This week, in preparing for this series, I heard John Stone Street, the president of the Colson Center for Christian Worldview, make a simple statement that I believe applies to the rising generation more than it ever has. He said that in today's world, to not have discernment in this culture is to be brainwashed. Without discernment, the power of the social media to brainwash teens is like a tidal wave sweeping up our Christian children and grandchildren and driving them toward devastation in their thinking about gender and sexuality. John reminded us that true agape love requires knowledge and discernment. Paul says to the Philippian Christians, It is my prayer that your love 
may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment. The episodes in this series are designed to give you knowledge and discernment about, first, what the culture is saying to the rising generation about sexuality and gender, second, what a biblical worldview response looks like, third, how to love those in the LGBTQ plus life, fourth, how to win the hearts of your children to embrace God's glorious design of mankind as male and female who complete each other. In this episode, let's look at the explosion of gender dysphoria in adolescent girls over the past eight years. Until just a few years ago, gender dysphoria, severe discomfort in one's biological sex, was astonishingly rare. It was typically found in less than 0.01% of the population which means that in four out of five high schools in the country, there was no one who thought she was a boy trapped in a girl's body. Abigail Shearer, a writer for the Wall Street Journal, writes, Gender dysphoria, formerly known as gender identity disorder, typically begins in early childhood, ages two to four, though it may grow more severe in adolescence. But in most cases, nearly 70%, Childhood gender dysphoria resolves. Historically, it afflicted a tiny sliver of the population, roughly 0.01%, and almost exclusively boys. Before 2012, in fact, there was no scientific literature on girls ages 11 to 21 ever having developed gender dysphoria at all. In the last decade, that has changed and changed dramatically. The Western world has seen a sudden surge in adolescents claiming to have gender dysphoria and self-identifying as transgender. For the first time in medical history, natal girls are not only present among those so identifying as transgender, they now constitute the majority. This from her book, just published in 2020, Irreversible Damage, the Transgender Craze Seducing Our Daughters. Shearer points out that biological girls who self-identify as trans are very different from lesbians. Lesbians have no problem with their female body. They just surrender to sinful same-sex romantic and sexual attraction. Natal girls, biological girls in other words, who identify as trans believe that they are boys in a girl's body. Shearer explains, yet they make little effort to adopt the stereotypical habits of men. They rarely buy a weight set, watch football, or ogle girls. If they cover themselves with tattoos, they prefer feminine ones, flowers, or cartoon animals, something that marks them as something other than stereotypically male. They flee womanhood like a house on fire, their minds fixed on escape, not on a particular destination. This rapid onset of gender dysphoria among adolescent girls was studied thoroughly by Dr. Lisa Littman, an OBGYN turned public health researcher. As she considered the origins of discovering, quote unquote, that they were transgender, two patterns 
emerged that were striking. She writes, first, the clear majority, 65% of the adolescent girls who had discovered transgender identity in adolescence out of the blue had done so after a period of prolonged social media immersion. There are over 10 social media sites and online forums that facilitate the discovery of a trans identity. These include YouTube, Instagram, Tumblr, Reddit, Twitter, Facebook, DeviantArt, TikTok, all containing popular hubs for documenting a physical transformation, seething over transphobia, and celebrating the superpowers conferred by testosterone treatments. Here is a summary of the advice your daughter or granddaughter is likely to receive from them. Number one, if you think you might be trans, you are. Second, want to try out being trans? Wear breast binders. That's a great start. Number three, testosterone or T is amazing. It may just solve all of your problems. Fourth, if your parents loved you, they would support your trans identity. Fifth, if you are not supported in your trans identity, you'll probably kill yourself. Sixth, deceiving parents and doctors is justified. It helps the transition. Seventh, you don't have to identify as the opposite sex to be trans. So the first pattern Dr. Littman detected was the very strong connection to the trans community on the social media. The second pattern she found, in her words, is the prevalence of transgender identification within some of the girls' friend groups was more than 70 times the expected rate. The atypical nature of this dysphoria, occurring in adolescence with no childhood history of it, caused her to postulate a hypothesis that is not politically correct, frankly, that this gender dysphoria was caused in part by peer contagion. In other words, these two researchers, who make no claim to being Christians, believe that adolescent gender dysphoria has exploded in the past few years because a percentage of adolescent girls who reject their female bodies have found a peer group, either online or in person, that feels the same way. So how should Christian adults respond to this epidemic of transgenderism? Number one, realize how much your daughter or granddaughter needs you to help her be discerning about what she hears in the culture surrounding her. As our culture has morphed from the industrial age to the information age, what is said in the media and social media is no longer anchored to truth. Whatever message is most loudly and frequently proclaimed on the social media becomes the narrative that is believed. I will say it again, that message, even by the news media, no longer has to be anchored to truth. So why wouldn't our Christian daughters tell us that our views of gender are archaic and the gender roles taught by Paul were never God's design but shaped by the unjust patriarchal views of Paul's culture? Second, we need to weep inside for all the precious daughters of Adam and Eve who have been deceived by Satan's lie that gender is a state of mind rather than a biological reality. Those who identify as transgender or gay, even the social activists, are not the enemy. 
They've been enslaved by the enemy. Their lives are being ruined. Satan hates God and his image bearers and will do anything to mar the image of the true God reflected in his design of male and female to complete each other. Third, don't be naive about the amount of time many adolescent girls spend on their cell phones. Some averages I've seen are up to 11 hours per day. Nor about the very significant role in leading adolescent girls into the trans life played by popular trans hubs on various social media. Fourth, help our children see that real love for someone, as Paul prayed for the Philippians, is always joined at the hip to discernment. You can be sure that in today's culture, your children and grandchildren will be told a thousand times over that a person in a female body who claims to be a man has the right to continue in such a state of gender dysphoria, that to reject her claim to being a boy is to deeply wound her, if not cause her to commit suicide. So our culture must bend to accommodate her delusion. But ask your adolescent daughter, what would be the most loving thing to do? If her five-year-old brother stood at the top of the stairs telling her he was going to dive headfirst down the steps because he could fly. Delusion harms. The delusion that a girl is a boy but her body just got it wrong is causing some girls to have irreversible top surgery, even though 70% of such girls grow out of gender dysphoria. Their parents are being told she might commit suicide if they try to stop this delusion. Sadly, the reason this delusion is being foisted on our daughters is that one of the two major parties in the United States has decided to depend upon identity politics for its support base. Fifth, go out of your way during these years to help her bond in a healthy way with close Christian female friends. There is overwhelming evidence that those who have found their way into the LGBTQ plus world never felt like they fit in with the friends they had. Sixth, teach your kids common grace, that part of being discerning is recognizing the common ground Christians share with those who identify as trans. We need our daughters to understand that most adolescent girls who identify as trans do so because they reject their own femininity. Very often they don't fit their own misguided stereotypes of femininity and don't feel like they fit in with other peer groups of girls. We can say, yeah, a lot of Christians seem to put traditional straitjackets on males and females. That's wrong. And it isn't even really biblical. The Bible teaches some basic differences in the way husband and wife complete each other in marriage. But one of the most important biblical truths is how creative God is. He intentionally creates every girl as unique and every boy as unique. Gender tendencies could be compared to bell-shaped curves of adult male height and female height next to each other on the same graph. Part of the curves will overlap. Are males generally taller than females? Yes. Does that mean every male is taller than every female? Of course not. Does that mean it's masculine to be tall? No. God loves diversity. That's the point. There are clues to godly masculinity and femininity in the Bible, but God designs every female, even with some strengths that might be considered masculine traits, because he loves diversity and wants every girl to know she is unique. 
He also gives men strengths in traditionally female categories. Number seven, accept the challenge as a man in Christ's church today to lead the way in showing the world the glory of God's design of complementarianism. It means prayerfully equipping the rising generation with confidence that the biblical worldview of gender makes much more sense than the fractured views of the LGBTQ movement. It also means a lifelong commitment to showing Jesus to your family members by reaching out with Christ's love to the sexually broken whom God brings across your path. When it comes to understanding gender, our kids need our discernment. It is for us to give that discernment to them. Authors Owen Strachan and Gavin Peacock in their great book, The Grand Design, point out, when we trust Christ as our Savior, the beauty of God's design comes into view. Our conversion opens our eyes to the nature and purpose of our God-given sex. We see the body not as a blunt instrument for our lusts, but as the gift of God for His glorification. We see our relationships with the opposite sex not as a power play, but as an opportunity to serve others in the name of Christ. We see the plan of complementarity, the roles we have the privilege of filling. To summarize this episode, John Stone Street is right. In this culture, if we don't man up and provide discernment for our own children and grandchildren, they will be brainwashed by the social media narratives about gender and sexuality. Real love pursues knowledge and discernment to guide the loved one. That is the purpose of this series, to equip men to lead and protect their families well through this epidemic of gender confusion. We focused in this episode on one part of the LGBTQ plus fractured view of personhood, the astounding birth and growth of ROGD, rapid onset gender dysphoria among adolescent girls. Dr. Lisa Littman's studies of this epidemic, though not politically correct, give overwhelming statistical proof that biological girls who express as transgender have been heavily impacted by the social media promoters of the transgender lifestyle and that this disorder is emotionally contagious. In response, godly men should, one, realize that their daughters need the protection of their discernment. Secondly, weep for those deceived into thinking gender is a fictitious state of mind rather than a biological reality. Third, recognize the significant role that the social media almost always plays in luring a teen girl into identifying as trans. Fourth, clarify that loving those who are trans does not mean supporting their self-destructive behavior. Fifth, help their daughters build close, healthy friendships with other girls. Sixth, help their daughters find common ground with trans friends because both the Bible and transgender ideology reject unfair stereotypes that don't account for God's infinite creativity. Seventh, godly men need to accept the challenge from Christ of leading the way in showing the world God's glorious design of male and female to complete one another. For further prayerful thought, 
Number one, as you listen to the reasons I wrote anchoring your child to God's truth in a gender-confused culture, which ones stood out most to you? See your show notes for additional questions. Today's podcast, as all podcasts are, is available in printed format on my website, forgingbonds.org. Next week, we continue our series, Anchoring Our Kids to Biblical Truth About Gender, by looking carefully at the graphic used by the LGBTQ plus movement to teach their view of sexual personhood and the biblical response to it. Then we will examine some powerful research performed by Barna Research, which shows how to almost guarantee that your kids will not listen to your views of gender and sexuality. Thanks for listening today, and if you found this podcast helpful, please let other men know about it, especially this series, Anchoring Our Kids to Biblical Truth About Gender. And you might even want to include your wives in listening to this series. 